0: so you know you've got an anti orientation on both sides you know it's more on the right that's the right oblique representation good morning happy monday i have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect all right coming off a great weekend looking forward to another busy week uh 17 days out from intensive 14 so starting to get excited about that um So let's go ahead and dig right into today's Q&A for Monday. Um, This is with Kyle, and I talked to Kyle over the weekend, and we emailed back and forth a little bit on on a a wide ISA client that he's having a little bit of a struggle with. Um, But we broke down a a little bit about what the right oblique is. So let me just show you real quick. On the pelvis, when we get a, a compressive strategy that somebody that is a a wide ISA turns on a much flatter oblique angle. And so when they get pushed forward from the left side, you get compression here, and then you start to see this elevation of the the left side of the pelvis. So they're turning actually on an oblique axis. So it's much more oblique than if we saw somebody with a narrow ISA, that's a much flatter turn because they're turning on a a more vertical axis. but we've we've got the layered strategies on top of that as well that we have to to manage. So so the superficial con- concentric orientation creates some some interference as well. And so we broke this down with Kyle. And then we talked about strategies for training um, this this individual. So we really went kind of step-by-step through this. And then we also established a KPI for, for Kyle to track things. So he doesn't delay people down on a table and measure them. He can just use some of his gym strategies to identify when he's making progress. So very useful for those of you that do not do table tests and spend your time in the gym. So if you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Video's rolling. Clock has started. What is your question?
1: All right. So as I uh, set you, so I have this chessboard with one of my clients, and- Um, I had the feeling that he was on the oblique axis, so I appreciate you confirming that over the email. Um, yeah. Now, um, from an intervention standpoint, I'm a little lost because initially, when I think of like someone being on the oblique axis, I think of um, bringing them back to the left
2: with like a
0: but,
1: squat activity.
0: But you have a butt.
1: I have a lot you of have butt. A butt in there.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right so so here's the dealio though so he's on the right oblique you're absolutely right okay but there's a little there's a little extra uh, addition here okay when you look at the the hip ir measures so so typically on a right oblique if you didn't have anything else added on you would see a lot of of internal rotation on the right hip okay you don't Mm -hmm. have any which means that he went on the right oblique and then he went forward. So if you try to push him back on the left, as you would say for a, for a typical right oblique, what's gonna happen is he's gonna orient everything at the same time. So he is basically locked into one piece. He doesn't have his relative motions available to, to him. So if you look at the, the hip ER measures, especially, so you know you've got an anti orientation on both sides, you know it's more on the right, that's the right oblique representation, and then you lost the hip IRs, okay? So so one of the things that you're gonna see here is a lot of orientation into external rotation. This is why your flexion measures got magnified, because he shouldn't even have that much flexion based on the fact that he has almost no internal rotation, okay? So you've got a proximal hip that's in ER, and then he's IRing as he goes down towards the floor okay so step 1 is you got to bring him straight back first recapture some of the er and the ir superimposed then make your turn okay because like i said if you make the turn too soon all he does is all he does is everything just faces the other way it's not the relative motions that you're trying to recapture does that make sense
1: yeah Okay. Yeah. A lot you know, so
0: so so from a strategy standpoint, um, you got to create the you got to create the the delay on the right side. You actually have to create the expansion on the right side first. Okay. So that's going to be anything from you know anything that's ground based. Um, you can use arm bars. You can use cross connects. You can use. I I would roll this guy. So he's a he's a he's a good sized human being. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a wide, he's a wide guy. And so, so when you see this, this degree of a forward center of gravity, when you see this degree of compressive strategy where you're losing a ton of ER, a ton of IR, I I roll these people quite a bit on their sides because the, the ground expands them anterior to posterior. It makes life really, really easy, especially when you're not like a manual therapist that, you know, typically can, can lay hands. It's a lot easier to do this stuff just roll them on their side right away. You're probably going to pick up some, some ER and IR because of the expansion that you're going to, you're going to capture. Then it's going to be a lot easier to move them backwards. Then you can do, like I said, your armbar series. You can do like this uh, cable chops in a staggered stance, Mm -hmm. things like that, things that unweight him. Okay. You want to think about that kind of a thing. Um, So what you don't want to do right away would be like, um, you know, like a side split squat or anything like that where the, where the load is pulling him down, you wanna think about unweighting him. So the cable activities tend to be a better choice under these circumstances because they, they reduce gravity rather than adding to it, right? And so then he won't be so overcoming, you'll capture the yielding actions a lot more easily under those circumstances. And then once you, once you recapture that, you make your turn and now you're in split stance, um, probably, probably going to be doing some form of front foot elevated kind of a thing again, to create the delays. Um, And then same thing, his thorax is the same orientation as his pelvis is, right? So um, heavy presses, heavy pulls, bilateral symmetrical activities, not not going to be the best choice for him right now. Okay. Doesn't mean you can't train, just means you got to be really, really selective with your activities, making sure that you're capturing turns and not just orientation. So that space between these scaps, you know, you got to move that back too, just like you're doing with the pelvis. But thankfully it's like, as you're using the extremities in the, in like the cable activities, you're going to get some of that expansion, but um, you're probably going to be looking at um, like something like a high low cable press in a staggered stance, things like that. Things that like I said, you got to turn them in a very small radius first Okay. Um, another reason why i like the rolling because it is a very small radius turn but we're getting the expansion with the floor does that help you at all
1: yeah it helps me a lot one of my because one of my other concerns was that he's so he's um like like we said he's a wide ISA. so when he does a lot of um because you know we're training we're not he's not right. coming to me like this hurts or anything like that yep. he does get some aches um in various places but one of the things i notice is like He's going to do like a split squat or anything like that. And immediately he's like Yeah. Like immediately. So right. I'm worried about doing things um, that are gonna just reinforce that like.
0: Understood. Understood. Okay. So here's so here's what you can do. Um number one, I wouldn't put him in in a in a front to back split squat. What yeah. I would do is I would deviate him out and put him on a little bit more like actually quite a bit more of a diagonal, okay? He's mm-hmm. got that space available to him. What he doesn't have is the, is the straight ahead. So so again, so, so um, you know, like you ever done like, a, I don't know what they call it now, but we used to call them compass lunges where you go like forward, you go to the side. So it's like north, south, east, west, northwest, that kind of thing. So he's yeah. gonna be on a diagonal first. But what I would do is I would actually, I would actually put him in that position and then keep them fairly high. So, so above parallel to the floor kind of thing, like the bottom of the split squat, I wouldn't sink him down. I would put him in those positions. And then that's where I would start to do some of the superimposed stuff with like with the, the cables and things like that. What that's gonna do, it's gonna allow you to capture some of this this yielding action that, that he doesn't have. You're gonna start to, to reduce some of the, the the posterior lower compressive strategy that he's using. So he's, he's very concentrically oriented in that lower hip. You're gonna start to expand that And then use your split squat, okay? So you have a test retest. So you literally just told told me what test is going to be the best one for you. So when he doesn't have to do that, so when he doesn't have to brace and hold, right? Um, Because he's trying to hold position because, again, everything's going to be this orientation. And then you just slowly, you, you take the stagger that looks like this, and then you just slowly bring it in to where he's going to do a normal split squat okay that's one of the advantages of the of the, like the front foot elevated stuff is because it does create the delay and it does promote some of the turn um so like i said you're probably going to go in that direction but i would i would just i would just deviate the split a little bit and then train him on that on that angle for now and then see how that works for you because again i think that you're trying to put him into a turn that he doesn't have yeah. and therefore he has to hold his breath to get there like literally he's twisting to, to hold that front to back position. And in doing so, he is squeezing himself even tighter. Therefore, there's no in, inhalation, right? If you don't have inhalation, you don't have external rotation either. If you don't have external rotation, you have no space. If you have no space, everything becomes orientation. Yeah, Do, do you see how it just cascades? So, so so find those positions that he does have the available range of motion. Chances are it's gonna be a, a slightly away from midline, it's gonna be slightly staggered to start, and then you just build him out from there.
1: Okay, so when you're saying it's wide staggered, would you still have that front foot elevated to, to push him back over? Or I don't
0: know, no, no. I, I, I tend to not, It's it's really awkward yeah. Uh, uh, to do that, it's a lot easier when you, when you, when you start to bring that foot to the, to the front, then I would start, start to build that up a little bit more because, because you're already putting him in a, a fairly successful position by, by creating the, the, uh, staggered orientation. Okay. Cause again, his ERs are out here. They're not in front. Like he doesn't have extra rotation in front of him. It's all out to the side. So let's just go ahead and put him there. Where he's comfortable, where he can access a position, and then just slowly work him back in. It's kind okay. of like like you if you watch him squat and you and you put him in a wide stance squat. He squats better than he does when he when he's in a narrow stance, right? Yeah. yeah. So the reason that he likes to do that is because that's where his er is. Okay. Yeah. So and it's okay to put people there. Okay. with the understanding is like, okay, if we're going to try to increase the relative motions, we're just slowly going to work that in. But that's why these staggers work really well is because they are turns. Okay. Yeah. It's just real subtle turns. But if you try to force him, if you try to force him into a position, everything becomes compensation. Everything becomes that breath hold. Right. Okay. Now, if he's lifting heavy, heavy things, he's going to hold his breath. Yeah, That's just, that's a, you understand that that's a given. Like anytime you load, you load somebody like that, they're not going to be able to, to, to breathe normally and they are going to hold their breath. Okay. So you take that into consideration as well. But like, this is a guy that can do suitcase carries. He can do sled drags. Okay. I would keep him in a sideways sled drag because that's where he's got the most range of motion available to him. Right, so you've got a lot of stuff that you can do in these in these shorter arcs of turn, and then you just like I said, you just build it out. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. No, that that's
0: super yeah. helpful. My. Yeah. So, um, so here you go. So let's let's just go through. Okay. So you got anything that's in a in a in a wide stagger? Okay. So mm-hmm. and again, that kind of looks like a sled drag when you think about it, right? Um, sideways step ups. So he, he can step up to the side or at a, at a very steep angle. Um, you've got a, a, like I said, the chop, you got the, the, um, the cable chops, you got mm-hmm. high-low cable presses, you've got arm bars, you've got rolls. I mean, so you've got a lot of stuff available to you here. Just respect where his available motion is with the understanding that you're trying to expand him anterior to posterior, so you can increase the amount of turns and then you can start to access that stuff that's straight ahead.
1: Okay, cool. Now, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um okay. I'm a little. I just I'm curious about um, how. So you had mentioned in your email, I have it right here that yep. you said he's um, ER proximally and IR yes. distally. Yes. So I'm wondering how that plays into it. Is that something I should be trying to like fix or? Is that going to be just following suit with the so, rest?
0: So by increasing the anterior-posterior diameter, so his ERs are way out here.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So he's oriented. So he's, he's tr- trying to turn his sockets that way, and he's twisting the musculature in that direction. Okay, As you increase the anterior-posterior di- diameter, the orientation will will adjust itself. Like he'll be able to access these positions in front of him. And the stuff just, again, the only reason the twists exist in the first place is because he needs them. Yeah. Well, if you take away the need, then as you start to move the extremities through space and he does have spaces in front of him, that that should start to to adapt itself just like it got him there in the first place. Give him some place to go. He will find a strategy that will sort of undo that. Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you.
0: Excellent. You're very welcome, sir. Is there anything else I can answer for you? You have one minute and fifteen seconds. <laughs>
1: yeah, actually, I actually have a question that's been bugging me. Um so I've heard you. Uh, I've heard you in the past talk about the the lower posterior compressive strategies. Yes, sir. Um, and how they both happen in both archetypes, but they usually happen at different times. Um, yes. But I think you've heard. I've heard you say that it happens later with the wide. Than yes. With the narrow. But I'm confused yes. because
0: because because of the bias of the of the nutated sacrum and the wide that posterior lower compressive strategy. Um, is is recognized later, okay? It's very very late in the in the in the sequence. It's sort of like the last thing that that because it actually it can actually bend the sacrum underneath them and create that that compression. So again, it's a it's a little bit like I said it 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 it'll, it'll occur late in both representations, but it's recognized a little bit more more in the in the wise because they are mutated. That apex is usually. Um, the 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 musculature that's attached to the apex is usually um not concentrically oriented because of position and then as they get pushed forward so you so your guy that we just talked about is there he's pushed forward and so sorry um he's pushed forward by that that posterior lower compression that's that's why you got that loss of ir especially on the right side okay yes cool
1: yes awesome great to talk to you kyle
0: i gotta run to my next call i appreciate you man Thank you, appreciate it. good day. It. You too. Because this motion here gets me forced down into the ground. Very important for high-speed sprinting. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have no coffee in hand, and it is perfect. All right. Kind of a wacky Tuesday. Got to dig right into today's Q&A. Um, which I did with uh, Pratyush, and he's working with a, a sprinter that is sprinting with what appears to be an excessive amount of, of extra rotation or, or toe out um, when they're running. And so we talked about why this may be, and so when we think about sprinting, we're talking about high force into the ground. We're talking about limited amount of time on the ground, so your, your highest level sprinters. I think it's like 0.11 to 0.08 seconds on the ground. So we're talking about landing really, really close to max P. We're talking about high force into the ground. So you're typically going to see anti-orientations of the pelvis under almost every circumstance. The question mark is, is how much do you have? If it becomes what would be deemed excessive, then it might start to create some interference as far as how they're going to try to produce that internal rotation into the ground. Because again, we do need um, high force capabilities at all times. And so we talked a little bit about how we're going to manage this and then how you would strategize over time as to whether you're making progress or not without stealing their superpowers. Because what what we don't wanna do is obviously take away speed. What we wanna try to do is just manage their their representation to optimize the outcome. So I think it'll be useful for those of you that that work with sprinters to give you an idea of of maybe what is typically going to be presented in in a sprinter of... of, uh, significant capabilities um if you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation go to askbillhartman at gmail.com askbillhartman at gmail.com put 15-minute consultation in the subject line and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience everybody have an outstanding tuesday and i will see you tomorrow all right pratish yeah clock has started video is rolling what is your question young man
4: so I, I want to ask if this compression expansion model like can apply to sprinting and I can know if somebody would be like biased to some form of uh running if I know what his ISA is or what his like hip uh measurements and all other measurements are. Because I see well, like if, Yeah. So ahead. like I see people uh say somebody's heel striking or somebody is running with their feet pointed way out. Like like this morning itself, I, I had somebody who was uh, running with feet pointed way out and he lacks external rotation. He had good amount of hip internal rotation. And as far as I could reckon, this guy had um, a forward orientation of the pelvis. He had, he had a flat back with exaggerated thoracic and uh, cervical curves. Yeah. So I just want to know if, if that can apply to sprinting. Um,
0: mm-hmm. If it applies to movement, then it applies to everything. That's That's the whole premise behind... Having a representative model of how, how movement occurs. So absolutely. So when you when you look at what you just described, in most cases, so especially with sprinting, so sprinting is is an extremely high force into the ground over a very brief moment in time. Right. So I have to be able to access the position of underneath me right? As I strike the ground. And so, especially in sprinters, because the high force um, is applied downward and they don't have a lot of time, they they will tend to have a limited amount of hip internal rotation. So if you have somebody that has magnified internal rotation as a sprinter, that's a lot of anterior orientation. And so the, the internal rotation that you're actually measuring is the spine turning away from you as you do the measurement for internal rotation. So typically like a high, like a high level sprinter will will present with a limitation in hip internal rotation. Because again, their ground contact time is very, very small. Um, what you're probably seeing then is because of the anti orientation, that would reduce the amount of external rotation that I have in front of me. And so they have to deviate out to the side. So, so they would, ER orient the hip joints to access some sort of external rotation space. And then they push down into the ground by actually turning the entire system down into the ground. You see how that would happen? So if my feet are turned out, I still have to push into the ground, but I don't have hip joint motion. So as I turn my foot towards the ground to make ground contact at at max propulsion, I actually have to turn the spine to get the foot down into the ground. That's probably what you're looking at
4: okay so like these people are kind of making up with exaggerated thoracic rotation that like and probably lateral flexion as well maybe
0: so so think about taking a whole pelvis and 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 tipping it There, hang on let me grab right, my pelvis so so they're going to be anteriorly oriented okay so so this They they that they will er orient, so they're gonna turn outward because this motion here gets me forced down into the ground. Very important for high speed sprinting, right? But I lose external rotation, and to get my foot down underneath me, I have to go through external rotation. So, what they're gonna do is they're gonna orient into external rotation here. That's why you're seeing that foot deviate outward. Okay, as they're coming down, coming down to, to, to strike the ground. But again, it's like if I need more internal rotation, what I'll do is I'll do that. I'll orient if, if I'm striking with my left foot, this is my left leg, I will take my spine and I will turn it that way to push down into the ground. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it'll be the it'll be from the pelvis upward, is where you'll see that that access of of spinal rotation to substitute for the internal rotation of the hip. Okay. But that takes time too. So it's going to slow them down. So what you might have to do, and again, all all sprinters are going to have anti-orientation because they have to put force into the ground um, maximally and very, very quickly. When you see somebody that hits their heel on the ground. Okay. Um, that's somebody that, that, is, that is exaggerating the IR to get down on the ground um, in a maximum propulsive position because typically when you, when you look at the, the, the really uh, uh, high level sprinters, um, they will occasionally tap the ground with a heel, but a lot of times the heel doesn't quite get to the ground because they're, they're landing very close to maximum propulsion, which is where the heel breaks from the ground. And so again, you, you you will see it happen, but a lot of times, if you if you slow the slow the video down, um, you won't see that heel hit in the ground. We have now. We've got a couple minutes.
4: Yeah. So so Bill, like I work in the performance sector, and I see athletes generally with an anterior orientation of the pelvis. So yes. would you typically want uh, these uh, athletes to get their weight back, or I should let them be?
0: Okay. So so you got to find a sweet spot here because we can't just say that we wanna restore maximum ranges of motion to somebody that is that is trying to, to run at high speeds because they don't have normal motion, right? So if you have somebody that is heel striking as they're sprinting, it may be slowing them down. So, so you need to bring them back to a certain degree. So you reduce some of the posterior, or some of the anterior rotation by, by moving them posteriorly. And that might give them a little bit more um, internal rotation at the hip joint that will allow them to access the ground without having to turn the spine so much. And then you'll see a lot less orientation, and then you get more force that's going straight ahead. Um, so what I, I think what you end up doing is you start running experiments where you say, well, let's do something that, that gradually brings you back, and let's just look at how it affects your performance. So you do it step by step.
4: So- So, and uh, like, I would do that by engaging the hamstrings and the IC adductor and things like that.
0: Uh,
4: uh, Uh, How do I get them back?
0: It's it's going to be things that restore hip, what would be traditional hip extension, which is actually internal rotation underneath the, the axial skeleton when you're upright. Okay, so you're going to try to access the, again, it's got to be a turn inward. So everything is oriented into ER because of the, the anterior orientation, right? So the anterior orientation takes away my extra orientation in front of me, moves it out to the side. I bring you back posterior, that starts to bring the ER back in, and now I have more space to superimpose the internal rotation. You just gotta figure out how much of that internal rotation that you need, okay? So posterior orientation, is, is, it's not one muscle, it's, it's multiple muscles, but you're gonna be looking at the stuff that, that coordinates the, the, the pelvis orientation relative to the femur, okay? So, so again, all you're trying to do, if you, if you posteriorly ran to pelvis, that's going to bring the ER space back inward, okay? But this is where we're talking about things like capturing the first metatarsal head on the ground, medial heel is going to help you capture those positions. They're not going to use the medial heel when they're sprinting, but to capture the position, that's going to be something that you're going to want to want to utilize. Fine, fine. Because if okay. you find those contacts, you don't have to worry about the muscles that are involved because the muscles automatically know what to do under those circumstances. The, the, the bony contacts are the signal.
4: So, so you, are you talking about some sort of sensory feedback for the athletes to like, to, like feel the immediate- uh,
0: Not when or, they're uh, running. Don't, don't tell yeah. them to feel anything when they're running, let them run. When you're training to recapture motion, yes, you do use those contacts as feedback, okay? Okay. Yeah. You, you shouldn't think when you sprint, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's too fast. It's too, yeah, fast. too fast, yes. All right. Yeah. I do need to run to the next call. I hope so that was helpful. Definitely will And was such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, good to talk to you as Bye. well. Have a good day. But if I compress you front to back and I tip you forward, ER space goes that way. So- Good morning, happy Wednesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, so it is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow is Thursday. So 6 a.m. Thursday morning, Coffee & Coaches Conference call as usual. Always a great group of people, always great questions. Um, please join us for that. The link will be on my professional Facebook page prior to the call. Okay, today's Q and A is with Luigi. We've talked to Luigi before, um, and he brings up a really, really good question. That I think is, is actually quite common when you have one of those clients that that presents with a rather significant. Um, reduction in access to both ER and IR, so both losses of external rotation and internal rotation to a rather significant degree. It's like, well, what do you do with those people? And so, um, number one, we went through the representation so, so we understand that. Basically what happens under those circumstances when you have the anterior posterior compression, you have anterior orientations, all of your external rotation space disappears. And so it moves outward. And so we have to consider that when we're making our exercise selection so we don't drive them harder into compensatory strategies. Then we talk a little bit about um, some of the activities that we that we might choose. Threw up a couple of representations there um, to overlay it on the, on the video so you have a, an idea of what we're talking about. Um, so I think this will be a pretty useful uh, Q&A for a lot of folks. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. And we will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference Call. Have a great day. All right. The return of Luigi. How are you? Good, Bill. Clock clock has started. What's your question, man? All right. So
3: thank you first and foremost for letting me uh ask this question. Of course. And my question is pertaining to a, a client I have who has like a lot of pain on his right knee. And I'm um, just trying to figure out what to do with it. Cause it's like really aggravated when he's coming down from like a step up. And I was trying to do, I was trying to fix like some anterior pelvic tilt because of what you recommended for like to do a supine cross or uh, step up cross connect. Mm-hmm. And pretty much uh, I just want to figure out what to do with that. He has really bad um, or his chest board is, is this Uh,
0: i'll show it (laughs) okay hang on stay right there oh okay
3: (laughs) yeah it's not the most accurate but
0: well but but yeah you don't have you don't have a whole lot of anything do you
3: yeah of like the range of motion yes
0: yes okay all right so let's you can you can pull it down all right. So you don't have, you don't have an ERs or IRs. So, you know, you've got an anterior posterior compression, you know, you've got an anterior orientation. Okay. And then anything that, that does appear to be even remotely close to normal is being measured away from midline. Okay. So like, how do you get hip flexion when there's no external rotation? Well, cause you're measuring it off to the side. So let me show you what I mean. So this would be, you know, in, in early hip motions, there's a space where external rotation occurs. But if I compress you front to back and I tip you forward, ER space goes that way. So it goes out to the side. And so anything that you have that's magnified. So if you got, what do you have like 100 degrees of hip flexion on there? Did I, did I say that right? Did I see it? Right? Yeah,
3: about 105, 120. Yeah, there's,
0: there's, there's no way this person can break, break 90 negative. Okay. okay. So then you're measuring away from midline. So so this would be an individual that that would typically favor like they prefer a wide stance squat versus a narrow stance squat. Am I correct?
3: Yes, his feet okay. definitely turn out and yeah. End.
0: So they have so they have to do that because that's the only space that they have to work in. So when you ask somebody to step up, okay, and they're facing straight ahead, you put them in a space where they immediately go into some form of orientation and then they're trying to, and they'll immediately try to produce internal rotation. So, so now I've I've magnified the amount of force that I'm applying to the ground. So you're putting them in a space that they do not have access to. Okay. Uh, Without, without compensatory strategies. So again, you've you've increased the anti-orientation, you've increased the spinal rotation, which means that you probably also increase the amount of rotation at the knee. To create the internal rotation downward, that could be why they're experiencing this this knee pain. Okay, so so this is going to be somebody that that has a lot of work to do to recapture some space. So you can you can start to work in those directions. All right. So chances are, you know, think about this. Would you try to would you try to front squat them with a hip width stance?
3: They probably, probably can't they yeah. probably
0: can't do that right because it doesn't look right, correct? So they're using compensatory strategies to get their leg in front of them when you ask them to do a step up. So let's let's take those activities that are straight ahead, let's just take them off the table. Okay. Yeah. But let's start to access the spaces that they do have. So you know, based on your your hip measures, that okay, some for some reason I can capture a lot of hip flexion, but that's a turn. They're already turned, they're turning and Mm -hmm. and and so they're accessing the space that they can access so so now you're looking at like a flatter kind of orientation so you're you're if these are the feet this is how they like to squat right so like the squat wide stance feet turned out so let's put them on staggers in in -hmm. this front to back orientation where they actually do have space so they're going to be the people that that, um, like I said, uh, sled drags are, are really good, like sideways sled drags, because you're keeping them in the spaces that they can actually access, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the chop and lifts that we talk about um, in, a, in a wide stance, staggered position are gonna be more useful uh, because you're keeping them within that space. These are mm-hmm. people that, that I tend to put in the ground and, and, and I roll them to try to create the shape change that I need to access that, that forward space. And that's going to be a, a little bit more of a time-based kind of a kind of an adaptation. But that's where you're going to have to start with these people, because again, you, what you don't want to do is push them into spaces that they don't have available to them. Because what you're recognizing here is the compensatory strategy, and they have just decided that okay, I'm going to use my knee, right, a, a little bit harder. I'm going to put more pressure through my knee to create the IR into the ground, right. And then maybe they're orienting their pelvis as they do that. Maybe they're changing their spine orientation to create that downforce, and now they load the knee. Now, um, what's your what, what's your background as far as your your qualifications? A kinesiologist. Okay. Do you do you do you typically work with people that, that have pain? Uh, typically, yes. Okay. And so so that's that's part of the qualification. Yes. Okay. All right. I just want to be sure because again, some some coaches and trainers really aren't. Aren't well versed in in trying to manage those cases. If you need to, bring somebody else in that can help you. Like if you need you, you don't do joint mobilizations then, do you? No. Okay. You're just the exercise side of things, correct?
3: Yeah, mostly. So,
0: okay. If you need if you need help, you know, call up, call up a, a, a Cairo or or a, a physio that can help you make some of these changes. Because what you don't want to do, especially if this, if if you make all these adjustments. And you're still having, you know, issues with 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 pain. You gotta you gotta you know start out. to bring in some other people. Yeah, yeah. Don't try to don't try to manage it by by yourself because again, you get somebody's hands on them. They can help you make some of these these changes that you need, and then you've opened a window of opportunity for yourself to to expand the repertoire, so to speak, of of the activities. Okay. 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 Yeah. So how is that?
3: Um yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I'll definitely look um ask around uh for I know some RMTs are registered massage therapists here in Canada, so I'll ask them for that. Um what did you mean by rolling them when on they're on the floor? Literally
0: rolling them on the ground. (coughs) Axial, so long axis rolling, right? So that the axis is through the top of your head, and so you're gonna actually roll them. So with with especially with wider people. Okay. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: Um, there's no muscles on the side that, that effectively squeeze you well enough to overcome the anterior posterior compressive strategy associated with physical structure or training. And so using the ground as a stimulus to push against the sides of your body and then your body weight pushing down, we actually get an anterior posterior expansion. You get a shape change through the pelvis and the thorax when you, when you do that. So so imagine just laying straight up and down on your side and then moving through a very small arc of motion. So when I talk about like some, some of the arm bar progressions where you're in sideline or just plain old axial rolling um, okay. does wonders for people as far as the shape change is concerned. And so if you ever check, um, um, dr- you ever check range of motion directly, <clears throat> uh, do you do like a direct measure of like an ER and IR like you do on a chessboard. Yes. Okay. So so do your do do your like hip or shoulder measures roll them and then recheck your measures. And what you should see, if, if you are effective, you should start to see those measures start to expand. And that gives you more space to play with as far as your exercise selection. So instead of having to stay way out here where they're oriented in the R, ER, you can start to work them inward. And then you capture more turn and then your exercise selection starts to expand because now you can bring them into this front to back orientation, whereas before they're just kind of spread out.
3: Mm -hmm. everything's away from the midline
0: everything's away from the midline yeah based based on your chessboard yeah that's what you're looking at yeah so small space out to the sides that they're playing in
3: can it just have them lay on the side and kind of just like turning a bit and maybe uh-huh. add weight on them like put so like- so
0: so uh a, a nice little thing to do is is you put them in sideline you give them a very very light dumbbell or kettlebell and you do like an like just the sideline portion of an armbar so you can superimpose the the er and the ir and, and mm-hmm. what happens is you're driving the turn from the hand approximately they're weighted on one side of their body into the floor and so you're creating this this alternating expansion front to back you drive breathing with it so as they internally rotate you exhale as they externally rotate you inhale and so you're literally creating so if if they're if they're like this block that doesn't turn what you do is you start to turn them gradually Right. So you don't you don't need to force this kind of stuff. It's like, let the ground do the work, let the breathing do the work and let the let the extremity motion drive towards the center of the body. So I always describe it as twisting and untwisting a towel. So if if you ever twist a Mm. towel tight, it's like so you twist it one way, it tightens. And then as you go through the middle, it loosens and then it tightens in the other direction. So we're the same way. We do the exact same thing. Right. So I drive I drive compression expansion by driving the internal rotation and external rotation. I drive the, the breathing to create the expansion and compression as well. And you get a nice little big bang because I got the floor that's helping me change shape. I got the breathing that helps me change shape. And then I got the twisting that helps me change shape. So- um,
3: to elaborate on that is that you're, you're on the shoulder like. They're the on, your on, the
0: shoulder, on your side. On your the side. You're, they're just they're just side you so If exhaling. I'm laying on my left side, if I'm laying on my left side, I just hold my arm out to the side, and that keeps me propped on my side. And I'm just going to turn into and away, a little bit at a time, very gently, mm-hmm. very gently. You don't have to be aggressive with this stuff. In fact, you don't want to be aggressive. So you don't use heavy weights. Sure. You don't drive. You don't drive aggressive breathing with people that are already compressed, because I want the expansion. Right. So, so again, it should feel fairly gentle as far as this okay. whole thing. of. if you hear, if you hear, if you hear the, <clears throat> you know, the, the guttural noises of people that are holding their breath and then having oh. trouble breathing through it, it's probably too hard of an activity. So in that case, you take the weight out of their hand and you say, okay, we're just going to gently roll back and forth. And I want to make sure that you breathe in and breathe out and breathe in and breathe out. Okay.
3: Okay. Cool. I'll start off with that. Yeah, and then just keep it again, again, like you said, keep it away from this front, like uh, sagittal plane area. Right,
0: right. So, so again, the, yeah, the, it's the front to back stuff that, that's probably going to create more of the orientation. Doesn't mean you can't get there. That's the thing I want you to recognize. is like you're not stuck out out in this 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 wide space forever, but you got to you got to gradually bring them in because if you do it too fast, you get pain.
3: Yeah, makes for sense. Sure. So that, that does that cover, um, the, the pelvis as well. When you're, when you're rolling on your side, even, even though it's for the arm, the pelvis will also, okay.
0: You're you're putting weight, you're putting weight on the pelvis through the, through the, through the, the hip. So, so you'll get a change there too. You can actually exaggerate that a little bit. So, so, uh, what, what I will occasionally do is I'll take like a, like a, a a fairly thick firm towel roll. I'll place that right underneath the ilium and have to roll across that. So there's just a little bit more upward pressure. Ultimately that can turn into a foam roller that where you roll the pelvis across the foam roller, but you got to work into that. You go, you go too firm, too fast. And and people don't like you very much because it's a little sensitive.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely strayed away from all that. Just, um, in like a evasive, like lacrosse ball foam rolling? Cause people do not like the well, head. It's,
0: it's just sensitive. It doesn't mean that there's not, there's not usefulness in it. You just have yeah. to be, you have to be selective in your use, right?
3: For Sure. Okay. Okay. So I'll definitely start off with that. And then, um, what? So just no front squats or anything at all for now, even if I warm them up with that.
0: Okay. So, so where are you going to put their feet to start? And then, where do you need expansion? So if you put a, if you put a barbell on somebody, um, it may be too much load. You may not be able to cash for the position. So, so again, how much, how much excursion do you have available to you? And are you trying to eliminate interference first? So if I load somebody and I try to squat them and I drive them into a compensatory strategy, how much help did I provide?
4: Mm.
0: You see what I'm saying? So it doesn't mean they can't squat. It just means that they're probably gonna start with a wider stance. It probably means that you're probably going to have to do like a, like a a platform for the foot because you're trying to drive them towards some posterior expansion. Right. And so, you know, where are they, what are they able to access in, in a squat? Do they break parallel? If they can't break parallel, then you do something that's like a plate squat variation where they're reaching forward. So you get some, some yielding in the posterior thorax, you get some yielding in the posterior pelvis, but they're still going to be in a wider stance. And then you just slowly bring the stance in as they're able to capture more and more motion in front of them. Gotcha, gotcha, okay,
3: just keep you have working. To build it. You
0: just have to build it. Never force people into a position. You just encourage the the mechanics that allow them to get there, right? So you start them where they're comfortable and then you work them back in. They'll be like, you could put a box underneath their underneath their hips, right, so they can box squat, but it'll be a wide stance box squat. Chances are you're gonna be reaching forward with a plate or something to that effect, right? Where they're reaching forward to help them to create some of the yielding actions that they need to access space.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
0: All right, dude. I gotta go. Good to talk right. to you again. Thank you, Bill. Have a great day. You too, man. So, same symptoms, different representations requires a different intervention.
6: So, I was wondering how you go about um, working with patients who come might be coming in with like patellofemoral pain or like patellar tendonitis. Because my previous um, mindset was like taught, like l- just load the knee, load it and load it and reload it. And after like like listening to you and your model, it's like that's not not always the case. You might need to pull them back and yield, um, or you might need a different strategy. Yeah. How do you go about working with when you've got like six weeks or ten weeks, a minimum amount of time with someone? Like you can have a young kid versus like a geriatric patient. They might have the same measurements. How do I go about like okay, I'm gonna load that person versus I'm gonna work on relative motions. Maybe they're elite athlete. Mm-hmm. Is because my so I don't want to broaden make a population. I want to treat it like n equals one. Uh-huh. But like when you only have that limited amount of time, how do you differentiate and go about that?
0: Okay, so. Let, let's start. Let's start with a simple representation. Okay. Um, I'm punching you repeatedly in the face, and it hurts. And so your treatment strategy is, I'm just going to punch you harder in the face, and that will solve the problem. Okay, okay. how's that working for you?
6: Probably not good.
0: Okay, so is is load the the strategy. Yeah. No. So what is the strategy that you're trying to reacquire to alleviate the the problem at the knee? What is the principle that you're trying to unload them? Okay. Not necessarily, not necessarily. Okay. If you have a if you have, if you have a progressive tendinopathy. so a change in the connective tissues. Okay, that is associated with load. Okay, we, we kind of know that, right? Um, and that doesn't mean that we can't use load in the strategy as part of the solution. What most likely you're trying to do, though, is to alleviate the, the byproduct of the perpetual load, right? So I have tension on a tendon or I have compression on the anterior aspect of the knee under most circumstances. So number one, do I have normal relative motions available to me? That's step one, because I don't know, I don't know what the solution will be. I can't, I can't my x-ray vision is not very good anymore. I'm, I'm old, right? So I can't see inside. But sometimes we can, sometimes we get the the nice little MRIs or whatever that'll show you like the sort of like the core of the tendon has, you know, the, the tissue related changes, right? Mm-hmm. But but the point is, it's like, why would you use load? Well, you're using the load to create a yielding action at the knee in a tendinopathy situation. That's why the parameters of the loading are, are important, right? So I can get the tissue behavior, right? That, that they don't have available to them, right? So I have, I have a tissue that, that has either reached its end point of yielding, and then therefore I get a tendonopathy, or I have a tissue that is in a stiffened position to such a significant degree that they start to get the tendonopathy symptoms.
6: Right, okay.
0: Okay, so you have to restore relative motions first and foremost, and then you say, well, okay, then what happened, okay? Do I need to do something that is that is more, structural and so this is where the tendinopathy research can can be useful right so it's was it jill cook and um what's it's not chris Barr, is it i can't think are you talking
6: about the where he stuck himself that one
0: no no anyway it's just there's there's a couple of people that are that are more into the, the tendonopathy research than other folks. And they've got some, some protocol related stuff where they're where they're using load on the tendon. So they're ignoring the the representation of, of whether you have relative versus non-relative motions um, first and foremost. They're just looking at the the histological changes that are associated with with loading strategies. Um, so there's information on that if you need it. Um, but but the point is 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 first and foremost, it's like alleviate the, the strategy that is perpetuating the tissue related changes or the symptom, which is number one, restore relative motion, kind of like we always talk about, right? That might be enough to reduce the, the signaling from the knee and then therefore you don't have pain anymore, right? If you still have you know, the, the, the tendinopathy-based symptoms, like so you restore all your relative motions, that doesn't really um, alleviate the symptom And you might need to, to try to influence the structure, or you're trying to influence just the, the, the pain related, uh, relationship, right? So do you ever, you ever do like an isometric load on a knee and they get analgesic effects from that, right? And so maybe you're doing it for that reason, but don't load for load's sake load with an intention. It's like, so I, I put a load on a tendon and I hold it there long enough, and then I get stress relaxation of the tendon, which is actually the yielding action that's associated with the the tendon behavior. So if I didn't have the yielding action before, and that was the limiting factor because my tendon was too stiff, guess what happens to the symptoms? The symptoms get better. See it? If it's under perpetual load and it is in a yielding position already, and I restore relative motions, now I I took the perpetual yielding strategy away and the knee gets better. Do you, do you see, do you see how you like, literally I have to be able to identify what strategy is in play. So I know what strategy to use to alleviate the symptoms. Do you see the difference?
6: Yeah, that makes sense. So, it's-
0: so, so, so the problem with diagnosing people with patellofemoral pain or anterior knee pain is it's vague. What it says is it hurts there. It says nothing of the why okay that's why you can't go to the files and pull out the oh here's your patella femoral program right because you have no idea what the problem is
6: right
0: so you think a structural reductionist model under this circumstance is dangerous right
5: so you were saying there's about two oh well you mentioned two different ways you said it could be in a yielded position yeah. but under load yes. so what that means say the tibia is Internally rotated relative to the femur under load, so it can't fully extend. And therefore, it's loading that patellar. So under that
0: circumstance, it would be in an extended position, wouldn't it, if it's tibiofemoral ER relative to the femur?
5: Uh No, tibiofemoral IR relative to the femur.
0: Okay, well, good luck with that. That's going to be really horrible pain, horrible and painful. That would be somebody that was that, that had tibiofemoral ER and then the whole system ER'd.
5: Tibiofemoral.
0: They would look like they have a varus knee.
5: Got it. A, that would be a very That
0: would look like a knee.
5: So what would it be if it's in a yielding position, but under constant load? I'm thinking yielding- that, that, from-
0: That's literally what you just described.
5: Okay. And that, so in, in that case, I mean, like like everything else, you would want to restore full relative motions first, and then- Yes, uh, sir. And, and in, in that case, it would be uh, getting that full, Knee extension, so uh, femoral internal rotation and tibial external rotation, but yeah. working the way down from the hip.
0: Yeah. Look at look at the relationship between the VL and the VM under these circumstances, Jordan. Okay. So so let's let's go through this for a sec. Okay. So let's say that you're looking at the knee and you identify the 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 femoral relationship, and so you have a proximal You have a proximal femur IR relative to the, I'm sorry, you have a distal femur IR, proximal tibia ER, okay? The screw home, right? So that's an extended knee under those circumstances, under those circumstances, okay? The VL will be concentrically oriented relative to the VM. Do you understand that? Because of the twist, okay? Would that concentric orientation under these circumstances increase the tendon stiffness or would it take it towards end range yielding? You got a 50-50 shot. Here's the coin flip. You ready?
6: End range yielding.
0: You had a 50-50 shot and you blew it. Okay. This is why gambling doesn't work. Don't be a gambler. Okay. Okay. Think about, think about what, think about the position. So the knee is already extended. So everything on the anterior knee is in a shortened position. There's no way that you're going to reach the end range yield. Okay. Okay. Now, hang on now. So, so think about this. So VL, VL is an internal rotator. So it already internally rotated the femur. So it's concentrically oriented. I probably have a really, really stiff-looking tendon under these circumstances, I'm going to have limited knee flexion. Uh, Oh, you see it? You see it? Okay. All right. Now, let's take the whole system now. So start with that same orientation, but now twist the entire leg into external rotation. If I do that, if I do that, Okay, I got a VL that wants to be concentrically oriented, but the twist that's coming from the from proximal to distal from the hip down is going to pull on that on that on that uh, VL, isn't it? Right. Right? So this is weightlifting for the VL. This is why you get those people with the one big thigh and the skinny other thigh. So the VL is lifting weights all the time. Okay, it's getting pulled against its desired position. So it's going to start to hypertrophy like a mother. But the, but the position is twisted outward. So it's gonna pull the tendon with it. So now I'm pulling the bowstring back and I pull the tendon long and then I hit the end and then they come in and they say, Jordan, I got pain in the front of my knee. And you go, wait a minute, the orientation is different than, than what I expected before. So now I got somebody that's end range yielding, okay? Do I wanna use a loading strategy that's gonna produce yielding on that tendon? No. Do you see why you would use one, one approach in one situation and the other approach in the other situation? Do you see it? So same symptoms, different representations requires a different intervention. You get it?
6: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, that,
0: yeah, you, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just because somebody appears to be pronated because the arch is very, very low to the ground, doesn't mean that I don't that I that I want to roll her to the outside edge and, and exactly. you see what I'm getting at yeah. it, because again it's like n- now we're teaching her how to sprain her ankle. Good morning, happy Friday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Looking forward to a great weekend. But before we do that, um, let's dig into today's Q and A. Um, this is another segment from yesterday's uh, Coffee and Coaches conference call, and I was talking with Matt, who I've talked talked with many times now, um, and we're talking specifically about a, a situation where we had a, a pelvic orientation and a certain representation in in a foot, and so we were we were connecting. The dots, so to speak, as to how we're going to alter the pelvic orientation, but we spoke specifically about some foot contacts, And so I, I think that would be the, the area of emphasis if you're, if you're interested in why we use um, certain representations of the foot to communicate these ideas. And we were just talking about getting that first met head down. The reason we want to make sure that first met head down, medial heel, is so we can capture the relative motions of the foot as that, that tibia is moving forward through space. And um, Christian came in at the end of this discussion um, for a couple points of clarification on the foot. So if you're interested in how to capture relative motions in the foot and angle, why it's so important to do it there, if we're trying to capture relative motions elsewhere, you're, you're really gonna like this call. Um, if you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, and put 15-minute consultation in the subject line, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Um, the podcast will be up on Sunday, per usual. Don't forget to go to the YouTube channel and subscribe there, so you get first dibs on uh, when I post up the the videos there, and you can go and review and review and review as much as you want there. Have an outstanding Friday, a great weekend, and I'll see you next week.
2: G'day, Bill. How are you going? I am awesome. Oh, nice to hear. So I've got a uh, I've got a th- the most difficult client that anybody could possibly uh, possibly have.
0: That's not that's not possible because they were in my clinic yesterday.
2: <laughs> it's called my wife, so uh, <laughs> you'll know what I mean. Uh, Fair enough. Go. You win. So, uh, so my lovely wife has uh, recently got a bit of a uh, uh, a change in job, and uh, in respect to that, she's got to do some. She's she's been doing a little bit more running than usual. Uh, for some of the fitness requirements for it, so she's was pigeon-toed as a kid, and when she walks, she's got quite a. You, you see the whole hip orientate left and right, as opposed to getting any sort of relative motion uh, within the hip. As a result of that, um, she's also got uh, relatively pretty flat feet. You know, a slightly more pronation on the right on the uh, right than the left. Um, a bit of an anterior pelvic position. Uh, And what this has resulted in is over the last uh, bit of time, every time that she gets into any degree of sprinting, she ends up with a bit of SI joint pain. And she's uh, also um, rolled her right ankle, uh, sorry, rolled her left ankle sprained it a couple of, like on numerous occasions, probably in the last couple of years, it's happened, you know, maybe four times. Not sign- not severely, but enough that it's a reoccurring problem. Um, and the same with the SI joint pain, bit of a reoccurring problem. Uh, she's been to chiropractic, you know, sessions and things of that nature, but inevitably that eases it for a moment and then we end up back here as soon as we up the load again and, and start, a, start a sort of running more frequently. Yeah. Um, so... Where to go from here? I've got some suspicions about you know obviously restoring relative motion within within the hips, trying to restore improve that anterior pelvic position, okay. so thinking things like lying cross connects and things of that nature, removing any sort of bilateral and, squatting and, and hinging things like that
0: well okay so so matt where do you where do you think she is in space right now over her
2: feet? Uh, forward and uh, Iring the hell out of everything on the inside there, so pushing down and in, I'd say fairly internally rotated of the femurs.
0: So, so, so she's pushing hard, hard through the through the middle, and then she's up and over her her right foot. Yeah. Description, right? Okay, that's why you're that's where you're seeing the the uh, greater degree of of the uh, middle propulsive foot on the right side. So she's 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 over top of it,
2: right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So is it, uh wide or narrow?
2: Slightly wide.
0: Okay. Slightly, slightly it's, wide. She's gonna be biased towards one or the other. So so I'm gonna okay. just say wide. Is that cool? If we okay. so, so we don't don't give degrees. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it doesn't close when you ask her to close it. Is that fair?
2: Yeah. No, okay. It doesn't.
0: Okay. So so she likes to produce force and, and she's running for something?
2: yeah she's she's in the cops and she's uh going into the dog handling so she's got got to do requirements that's all yeah i got you i got you
0: okay so so we can make a we can we can make a couple of of assumptions number one that her helical is going to be a little less vertical which means that that she's she's going to move on an oblique angle first right yeah then then she's going to get pushed forward so we know that she's forward because her right foot's telling you so right so mm-hmm. the fir- first direction you want to go is straight back on the right. Okay. okay. So you got to get her, you got to bring her back a little bit and then you can make, you can start to worry about the the turns and such. Okay. Yep. Okay. So that's, that's step one. So, and you get to decide how you bring her back. I mean, it, there's, there's nothing magical here. You just got to create, you got to create the, the delay strategy. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that, that, um, the the way she's producing, she's got a. You say she's got a lot of I, hip IR.
2: Yeah, a, a, a lot of IR. Um, one of those people that can kneel down, okay, uh, and then drop right back. Understood.
0: Know? Understood. I know. I know where you're going here. Yeah. Okay. So so she's got she's got a lot of spine motion then, right? Yeah. Um, so, so you're gonna have to be careful as you, <clears throat> as you try to move her backwards, okay. That you're not just getting spine motion and that you are recapturing some some relative motion, okay. So when you move yep. her back on the when you move her back on the right, you're probably not going to use a symmetrical activity to do so. Okay. Yep. Okay. Because if you, my my best guess would be that if you do try to use a symmetrical activity, um, she's going to try to use her spine as the compensatory strategy. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. so move her back from, from the right side first and then start to make, make her turn in the opposite direction.
2: Yeah. Okay. okay. So yeah. Real,
0: real simple. Okay.
2: So and in respect to any clue why she might be prone to rolling that? What, I'm, I was trying to figure out why that might be the case.
0: Well, <clears throat> how does she get over her left side?
2: Yeah. I guess that she's probably, she's
0: good. So so hang on. Her center of gravity (laughs) is over her right leg. Okay. So for her to get up and over the left side, it'll look like a limp. Okay. Yeah. So so she's got She's going to take, she's going to take her her thorax and go up and over that hip. And all she has to do is cross over the tipping point right off the, off the left side. And there she goes. Right. So she has yeah. a point of no return. And then and it's going to it's going to roll because she is so, so pushed forward. So when 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 she's she's trying to turn to the left. OK, she's doing it unsuccessfully because of, of the 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 being over the right leg like we're talking about. OK, mm-hmm. so how does she so if, if you ask her to turn left right now, how is she going to do it? Is she going to do it with relative motions or is she going to orient everything?
2: No, she orientates every time she turns. So
0: so hang on. So if it's an orientation, if it's an orientation, she won't have relative motion in the ankle either. Okay. Yeah. So the lack of relative motion in the ankle as she moves her center of gravity to the left means that she rolls to the outside edge of her foot. Mm hmm. Okay. yeah, she doesn't have normal subtalar motion on the left side as she shifts her weight to the left. The orientation takes her over that side. She doesn't she doesn't she doesn't maintain first met head medial heel on the ground for IR. She rolls out and over the outside of the foot. And then, like I said, she hits the point of no return and then it becomes an ankle sprain.
2: Yeah, got it. Got it. Got it. So that's why
0: that's why you got to bring your back first. And then create the turn. But as you create the turn, you have to create hang on, I'm gonna put you have to create that motion. Okay. Yep. Because what, she, what she's gonna to try to do is she's gonna to try to roll the whole ankle to the outside edge. Okay.
2: Okay. Yep. Yep. So she's gonna have maybe some difficulty in maintaining that, um, maintaining that foot position on the ground we'll have to pay particular attention to that when she's executing those movements. Cause otherwise she's just going to orientate the whole thing.
0: So I would argue Matt, that if you, if you don't spend enough time on, on her understanding how her feet are in contact with the ground, you will, number one, you won't get the change that you want. Yeah. Right? And then you will, if you, if you ignore it, you will just continue to perpetuate the same problems. Okay. I think her feet are probably very important in this circumstance. Not that they're not always important. I'm just saying that that you're going to have to teach her how to turn through her feet.
2: Okay. Okay. Yep. 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 All okay. right. Very good. Very okay. good.
0: Thanks, Bill. You're welcome, sir.
5: Camera on. So even, even with pronated feet, you want to make sure that you maintain the uh medial calcaneus and the uh first metatarsal head and okay throughout to make sure it's not reorienting
0: so yes because so so here's here's the thing what drives the arch down
5: what drives what
0: what drives the arch down
5: the arcs down uh, force into the middle internal rotation
0: yeah how many different ways can you do that
5: you can do it through the connective tissues or through the joints or many different well, ways well i mean
0: so if if i if, if i lock the subtailor joint okay uh-huh. let me let me so if i if i put you in a supinated subtailor joint yes okay which would typically Un- unload the medial aspect of the foot, right? Let's just, let's just say to the extreme. Okay. Mm-hmm. what I tip you up and over your, one sec. So, but if I, if I tip you up and over that foot and you can create a down force. let's just say in your lumbar spine. Okay. So you anteriorly orient the pelvis, you, you move the spine into what would be traditional extension, which is a, an internally rotated position of the spine, right? But you had a subtalar joint that was in supination. I can get your arch to the ground, okay? So is that pronated?
5: That's what it appears to be,
0: yeah. Okay, so technically speaking, yes it is, because it doesn't matter where I create this differential in, in ER to IR, I can create a, a representation at the, at the ground but did I use relative motion in the ankle and the foot to get there? No. So if I'm trying to create relative motions somewhere else, right? So if, if we're trying to, let's use Matt's wife as an example, we're trying to teach her how to turn with relative motion through her feet, through her pelvis, through her thorax, etc. right? It would behoove me to use the appropriate foot contacts to do so. Just because somebody, appears to be pronated because the arch is very, very low to the ground doesn't mean that I don't that I, that I want to roll her to the outside edge. And, and exactly. you see, what I'm getting at yeah. it, Because again, it's like n- now we're teaching her how to spring her ankle all over again. That's right? Right. And if I if I take the right foot and I say, Oh, she's really pronated. Here's what I need to do. I need to lift that arch way up. Now she's got a right ankle sprain. So you get to choose, right? So we always want to hang, we always want to make sure that we're we're reinforcing the foot contacts because that's your first contact, you know, is, is with the ground. It's like I have to have relative motions there if I want to have relative motions up higher.
5: And would there be a would, would there be a situation where we want a lateral heel contact? Would it be maybe through the excursion of zero to sixty of hip flexion? And then as you descend further into IR, then you feel more of that medial. I,
0: I, I wanna put that can access that because my first ground contact when, when, when I'm stepping forward is a lateral heel contact, right?
5: That's right, that is, you wanna have access
0: to it. Right, so, so first contact with, with lateral heel requires that I am able to access that position. When I when I reach that that representation of the early propulsive foot, which is first met head medial heel, I have to be able to translate from one to the other So both are necessary, but, but for me to have to drive, if I'm trying to produce a turn again with relative motions, this is a grounded representation, Mm -hmm. right? It's not, it's not, I got a foot on the ground, right? Got it. Got it.